sunny beaches of South Florida. Is that you? Hello. Oh my gosh. How in the heck are you? You look amazing today. It is so good to see you again. Come on in and have a seat. Follow us or subscribe or whatever it is your medium requires and stay a while. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Say, while you're here, can I get you something to think today? The strategy of planning, the thrill of the heist, pulling your hat down over your ears during the galloping getaway, and the adrenaline of lining your pockets with near a few moments of actual work. For those of you who might have been a little titillated by the previous story, this is what Mr. Harvey would refer to as the rest of that story. And it ain't purdy. For Henry Rhodes Meeks, more commonly known as Bub, life after the 1896 Montpelier bank robbery is like watching a train wreck in slow motion over several years. It's important that we look beyond the flashbang life of an outlaw. Learn from the tragedy, see the struggle and consequences of what from most accounts were acts of juvenile thievery bridging into his irresponsible and law-breaking years of manhood. Writing with Butch Cassidy seemed to have some unwritten rules about when you were allowed to use your gun, which was self-defense only, how to treat women and children, and make sure that everything is meticulously planned so that the operation is quick, with minimal hiccups, and without a gunshot if possible. Though I could find no accounts of Bub Meeks ever taking a life, he was absolutely involved in a risky occupation that many of his cohorts paid the ultimate price for. They didn't get prison photos. They were usually photographed at room temperature while propped up against a wagon or resting in a pine box. Was Bub more fortunate? Gosh, I really don't know if I can answer that. And there were times when Bub wondered that as well. Okay, Shoshone Journal, what do you have for me today? Huh. Let's start out in the juiciest section. Here we go, the local and general roundup. Will Perry has quit the grocery business to go to school? Huh. You surprised by that? He's always been such a smarty pants. Roy Toyer has accepted the position as baggageman at the depot. Nice. Hopefully he doesn't take the sack of potatoes approach like the last guy they hired on. J.C. Edwards, brakeman on the main line, had the index finger of his right hand taken off while coupling cars Monday? Oh, good grief. And not to be outdone, George Haley tried to stop a sausage mill with his finger yesterday. He is now a finger short and the mill one sausage ahead. Oh, gag a maggot. Sunday morning, a cow belonging to H.H. Alberts was struck by the engine of number one at the Walnut Street Crossing and quite badly crippled. I'll bet. Huh. Oh, Judge Waters will have to surrender his diploma as a veterinary surgeon. For malpractice? Sheriff White called the judge to prescribe for a valuable cow of his which was very ill. The judge examined the patient, sent for the medicine, mixed together, gave it to the cow, and it killed her instantly. Oh, gosh. Sheriff Joe said he couldn't have killed her quicker with a Gatlin gun. 
J.H. Robinson and family left for Mercer, Pennsylvania last Tuesday night, where they will reside. It's a slippy trip to Mercer from here. Good luck to you on your travels. What else we got here? Oh, goody. Here's the advertisements for dry goods. Pens are five cents a dozen. Ink, five cents a bottle. Nursing bottles, only 15 cents. Ma, Ma, you want another baby? It, the bottles are only 15 cents. Oh, okay, why? That's not a good reason? Why not? What's that? Ask you next week? <laughs> okay, dear. Hairbrushes from 15 cents. Toothbrushes, 10 cents. Florida water, the very best, 25 cents per bottle. Who would ever buy bottled water? And A1 razors, fully guaranteed, $1.50. Well, tickle my ears and cough up a lung. If I smoke enough cigars, oh, one coupon per cigar, I can win the graphophone at Holt and Gilmore. <laughs> All I got to do is call and see it. Seems simple enough. Oh, what else have we got here? Look at that. September 10th, 1897. Halfway down column three on Blackfoot, Idaho's own Shoshone Journal, it reads, Dave Norwood, the murderer of Samuel Bird, has been recaptured after he escaped from jail last April. Norwood's crime was particularly cold-blooded and brutal, beating an old man to death with a pick handle. Oh, gosh. It is to be hoped that he will be condemned to stand on nothing and look up at a rope. Huh, that's pretty blunt. Well, Bub's your uncle. Look at that. Bob Meeks, the Montpelier bank robber, passes through town in the custody of Warden Van Dorn Tuesday en route to the state prison at which institution he will spend the next 35 e years. Is that a typo? Shouldn't it be three to five years? He didn't kill anyone. He robbed a bank in Montpelier. And if I recall correctly, he never even went into the bank or wielded a weapon. That sentence feels pretty excessive. Old Bub must have really made him mad. It has been noted that history books, newspapers, and prison records called him Bob, Robert, Henry Robert, Wilbur, or Henry Wilbur, but his real name was Henry Rhodes Meeks Jr. Whatever has transpired up to this point, there's surely a tangled phase of Bub's life to be happening behind those prison walls. Bub Meeks was neither as bright nor as lucky as Butch Cassidy. That would be proven out time and time again in the remaining years of Bub's rather short life. The Boise, Idaho newspaper declared that Bub's prison record had been one of the best and he had been a model prisoner. He was a semi-trusty. He was good-natured and jovial and quite popular among his fellow prisoners. It was all a ruse for Bub, though. Anything it took to get privileges enough so that opportunity for escape could be had. Bub was not made for prison, and prison could barely handle Bub. He felt like a pork chop in a synagogue being all locked up like that. 
Kind of like shaking a mad wolverine in a gunny sack. There were some notes kept in an old trunk in the living room of Tom Welch, who was living in his 90s on Main Street in Green River, Wyoming. Tom was a former uh, associate of the Wild Bunch. The notes had been sent to Tom Welch by Henry Bub Meeks while he was imprisoned in the Idaho State Penitentiary and the State Hospital at Blackfoot. The following was probably written just before his first escape in 1901. Dear Tom, Tom Whittup visited me the other day and I am going to send this note out with him, which he will give to you. I could have told him that I wanted you to know like before, but I don't want any detail messed up or looked over because I aim to be out and home by Christmas or pay the price for not making it. Do you know the old tree by the hole in the rock on Burnt Fork? Have me a good six-shooter there in the old tree where we always left the mail and make it a 44 with two boxes of dry cartridges wrapped up to keep the snow and rain out of them and the same with the 44. Tom W. is going to get me a fresh horse and stake it out where we talked about and I will be home by Christmas. Will you tell Ma to watch out for me and have my things ready? I will try to go there first but can't stay. I have one man here who watches me all the time and I know he would like to bring me down but I won't stay any longer than I can. You be sure of that. Don't fail me Tom for I will be out on schedule. Signed, Bub. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the prison, Bub Meeks didn't know parole was granted on condition. Warden Arnie had planned the surprise as a present, but Bub fled the scene, and the results were unpleasant. It was Christmas Eve. The warden had been planning on surprising Bub with the news that his 35-year sentence had been slashed to seven years, and that he had only three years remaining to serve. Knowing the full picture now, I'm not sure if anything short of an immediate release would have been acceptable for Bub. You see, he had an incurable case of prison fever. That Tuesday afternoon, December 24th, 1901, Meeks and six other prisoners under guard burns were working at the hog house on the prison reservation. Convict George Eden was behind the reins of the prison team as he drove up to the root house. Henry, I need you to go help George unload that wagon. I need everything stacked nicely out of the weather. I expect there'll be more snow before the week's out. Sure thing, Robert. Sure thing. Hey, George. Let me get that for you. Uh, Thanks, Henry. Okay, George. That's all of it. Let me just go check on our famous steed. (laughs) 
hello there, Selam. Aren't you just as strong and capable mode of transportation? Uh-huh. Seeing an opportunity, Henry deliberately unhitched Selim from the wagon and jumped astride the animal, harness and all. Come on, come on, come on! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Merry Christmas to me! Oh, well, um... Henry? Selam? Did I just see Henry giving old Selam the over and under as he sprung this place? Is he on holiday? <laughs> it would seem so. I'm not sure if I should be alarmed or envious. Kind of torn as to whether I should shout the alert or run after him and ride double over to that newfangled Idana Hotel. Not me. I hear that place is haunted. Or oh, it's going to be eventually. Oh, and this place isn't? I feel haunted every time my cell door shuts. Yeah, that's pretty spot on as well. Well, maybe a sporting head start would be an appropriate Christmas present for Henry and Selam before they turn the bloodhounds onto his trail. 97 Mississippi. 98 Mississippi. 99 Mississippi. 100 Mississippi. All right. That ought to be enough of a head start for Henry. Robert? Officer Shooty? Selim and Henry went dashing through the snow in a one-horse getaway. Over that field he went, laughing all the way. And I don't think he's coming back. Very funny, George. We'll see about that, won't we? Henry is going to be eating Christmas dinner out of his honeypot. Get the dogs! Warden Arnie! We got a prison break! Everybody else, back inside! Now! The guards followed the trail north until dark, then followed it again before sunup the next morning. Prisoner number 574, Henry Meeks, was apprehended by 10 o'clock Christmas morning up the Boise River. Why did I escape? Well, that's easy. I saw what I believed was a good chance to get away and availed myself of the opportunity. I knew old Selim, and if anybody could give me freedom, it was he. So I took the long chance. It's, it's all off now, and I suppose I'll have to take my medicine for the effort that failed. Do you have any complaints about your treatment here at the penitentiary? No. <laughs> I have no complaint to make about treatment while an inmate of the penitentiary. The warden and his assistants have been very kind to me, as well as the other prisoners, and what more can a poor outcast expect? I tell you, it's hard, old man, to do time for something you've never done, and it rankles in a fellow's breast. But what can you do? Liberty is sweet for a man isolated and dead to the world. When the feeling comes over you, even with death staring you in the face, a lost soul is willing to take a big chance. I took it, but I failed. I am now satisfied, and I will take my punishment like a man. 
Guard Donnelly stated that when the defendant was captured up the Boise River, the only statement he made regarding his action was, I had to go. Warden Arnie was quite jubilant over Meeks' capture when seen at the penitentiary yesterday. I'm glad Meeks has been recaptured for the effect it will have on the other prisoners. I am equally glad that we have Seedlum back. He's a noble animal. It would be a pity to have him knocking around among those who would not appreciate his worth. Meeks says he was good to the thoroughbred. I believe he was, for he shows it. When I told Meeks I was going to have him for horse stealing, uh, he, he said, Warden, I don't blame you. You've been very good to me, and perhaps you didn't deserve the treatment I gave you. Well, so much for Bub's Christmas gift. His sentence had previously been reduced to 12 years, but the judge was so angry, he revoked the parole and increased Bub's sentence to 35 years again. Later, it was commuted down to 20 years. My head is dizzy. My bones, they ache. They punish me hard for merit's sake. But such is life. Uh, they all tell me I've suffered with pain till I can hardly see, but after a while, this pain will cease. Through the power of God, I'll be released. If through this fake I make my escape, I've credit to the Lord, for he did it for my sake. I bleed for self a little just for a stall. My friends might think I'm easy if I look weak and get careless. When the privileges of good behavior failed him, Bub turned to insanity. Or rather, Bub wanted to be diagnosed as insane so that he could be transported to a different facility with a much lower security presence. So he began to intentionally display insane behavior. But he never could pass the test. The prison judged him insane for a brief time, and he was evaluated more than once, but authorities decided he was faking. There was a rather half-hearted attempt to cut his wrists, and although actual prison records don't mention it, one real story is that Bub ate soap to make himself sick, get transported to the hospital, and then escape. Well, the first part of that plan worked <laughs> almost too well. That soap nearly killed him, actually. But once recovered, he was returned to his cell. Dear Tom, I, I guess that Tom Whittup told you that I didn't make it. God, this place is hell, but I'm going to be the warden's good boy until I can make it again. They have spies all over this place, uh, and it will take some doing, but will you keep in touch with Tom W. and wait until I go again? I don't know when it will be, but when I get my chance, I'm already watching a way which might work, but I won't say until I'm ready. Tell Ma to have Joe fix the old cabin on the upper fork for me, in case I make it out. I can't see anything in my letters, or they read it all. You have been a close friend, Tom, and I hope you will stick by me until I am out. Signed, Bub. Bub undertook another escape in February 1903. For reasons known only to him, Bub had taken off his shoes and was in his stocking feet 
as he sneaked past a grocery wagon and began a sprinting. Halt! Halt! Halt or we'll shoot! Bub had sprinted 300 yards before Deputy Warden R. Fulton shot and struck the fleeting prisoner. Henry! Warden Tarnation, were you thinking? And why are you outside in your socks? Oh, let's see here. Looks like you've been hit on the left leg. I hope the doc can do something with this. It's a long ways from your heart, but he might have to amputate. Dang you, Henry! for putting us in this situation. Well, now come on, let's get you to the dock. Henry had been shot just below the left knee. The impact had shattered the bone, rendering amputation of the limb necessary. Family members always insisted that the leg wasn't that serious, but officials supposed that a one-legged bandit would be no more trouble. Little did they know, Found in his cell, scrawled on the back of a copy of prison rules, Bub had written the following. Just a word or two. Some people say I'm not a believer in God, but it's not so. I am a believer in God. The people have translated the Bible so much that it may have caused a great many weak-minded men to disbelieve in God. I would like to see a Christian world for I love everybody. Please don't scorn my people through my downfall. Have them a true Christian hand and God bless all nations. My parents gave me good advice and I clear them of all stain. I told Mr. Meekham a story about my brain, which was not so. I was trying to get to talk with some of the leading men of this state and if, if I had, I would have pulled through all right, I think. But I hope it will be all for the best and May God's sympathy be with all nations. I will take advantage of one little play rather than to impose upon my political friends. God bless all that fall in this storm to justify men's evil wishes. In 1903, the now one-legged outlaw was watching a prison baseball game from one of the prison's towers. And when it was over, the officials called for him to come down. And he replied that he needed a couple minutes because his leg was numb. He then yanked the ladder up and then himself shinnied up the tower like a monkey. The statesman reported that he was working on the tower and he was sunning himself from the 35-foot tower. He clung to the top, yelled, Hurrah for hell, hurrah for hell, here goes, and then... He raised his hands above his head, palms outward, and then he just dived for the ground. It was reported that when they got him to the prison hospital, he grabbed a pair of scissors and struggled with the guards and a doctor while trying to stab himself in the heart. Although some prison records show no injuries, he did have a broken shoulder. Guards and inmates all liked Bub. He had a charming personality and was polite and well-mannered. After his header off the tower, the inmates and the guards were worried about him and asked his mother to come and talk sense into him. She couldn't leave her cattle to make the long horseback ride, so they all took up a collection and bought her a train ticket. 
She arrived April 3rd, 1903, and it was reported that Bub was feeling better for a short while after that. But he was soon put on 24-hour suicide watch, with the inmates being the watchers. On April 22, 1903, Bub was sent to an insane asylum by the probate court in Ada County. At 5 foot 11 inches and 200 pounds, Bub was described on record as affable, courteous, good-natured, and jovial. They also described him as desperate and ingenious. He just didn't like being confined. The Idaho Daily Statesman of April 22, 1903 states that Bub was judged insane and sent to the asylum in Blackfoot, Idaho. All of his newspaper and prison records used the name Bob Meeks. Bub was very self-conscious of the shame he had brought on to his family. The article says in part, it was shown that Meeks was afflicted with suicidal mania and otherwise out of mental balance. His removal from the penitentiary will relieve the prison authorities of a great deal of annoyance as he was a very troublesome prisoner. The doctors decided that he was crazy like a fox and quickly returned him to Boise. But it seems that within four months, Bub was back again at the asylum for his final stay. Dear Tom, it's all set up. They won't stop me this time, or if they do, I will go down dead before I go back in that prison. They have me in the hospital now, and they think I'm a godforsaken cripple that can't run, but they will find out different soon enough. I have horses enough laid out to get me home, but Tom, I need a good rifle and a six-shooter with four or five boxes of cartridges waiting for me at that old tree. If you don't do it soon, Tom, they will have me back in the walls, and I won't stand a chance. Have the guns waiting and don't fail, because I might have a fight of it. And I will try to steal one if I can after I get out, but a cripple makes a damn poor thief. I'll probably ride hell on for Burnt Fork and won't delay. Tom, I mean it. If I don't make it this time out, I will not live to regret it. If I have to do the job myself, they have it in for me in that place, Tom. I wouldn't last another year. So one way or another, I am going out. And I think I can make it from this place. So with luck, I will be thanking you in the flesh before too long. Signed, Bub. It is noted that Bub Meeks escaped from the state hospital at Blackfoot, Idaho on August 9th, 1903. Tom Welch was asked if he actually supplied the guns as Meeks asked him to do. <laughs> well, he didn't die in prison. I went to his funeral. His hospital evaluation showed the following notations. Strength, feeble. Attempted suicide some weeks ago. Fractured left leg by gunshot by pen guard when attempting escape. A leg amputated soon after. 
rather dull delusions of persecution. Eloped, August 9th, 1903. Now, eloped wasn't a romantic notion in 1903. It flat out meant escaped. No one rightly knows how Bub pulled it off, but on August 9th, 1903, he stole the doctor's coach mare from the asylum and made his final escape. Now, to Bub's credit, he was reported to have sent the horse back with a note stating that it was the best horse he ever rode. Jed Bullock carved him a wooden peg leg, just like his own. The Idaho Historical Society records that nothing was known about what became of Bub Meeks after he sort of disappeared from the penitentiary records. Not too surprising that they'd rather forget about Bub. I think he had worn out his welcome in Idaho. Henry Rhodes Meeks Jr. went back to Wyoming, near Lone Tree, and lived there until he finally drove himself crazy waiting for the law to come and get him. Bub used to sit in the top of a cedar tree with a rifle all day and wait to be arrested. This delusional and paranoid behavior, as well as some of the more aggressive personality traits that are rumored to have developed from Bub in his final years, made more sense upon his death. Well, the law caught up with Bub at his brother's ranch in Fort Bridger, Wyoming. Evanston News states he is now a total physical wreck, and the officers claim that it would be inhumane to again put him behind the graded bars. The officers of this county, who were serving at the time of the Montpelier robbery, were instrumental in securing Meeks' arrest. When he received a sentence of 35 years, however, they at once attested their disapproval by openly declaring that the sentence was far too severe. Bub's sentence was mysteriously reduced to conform to time already served. He had theoretically completed his sentence for the robbery and was supposed to begin his sentence for jailbreaks. And the record just ends there. One report states that Bub was committed to the asylum in Evanston, Wyoming. On his death certificate, it states... Henry Meeks, Evanston, Uinta, November 22nd, 1912. Cause of death, General Paresis. Now, General Paresis is also known as paralytic dementia and is a severe neuropsychiatric disorder. It was originally considered to be a type of madness due to a dissolute character, but in the late 1880s, the condition was connected with cerebral atrophy in late-stage syphilis. Symptoms of this disease first appear from 10 to 30 years after infection, so it is possible that Bub lived his entire life with this disease. As with most of life's lessons, medicine advances one funeral at a time. By the 1920s, syphilis was treated by pyrotherapy and soon was rendered avoidable and curable with penicillin. Prior to this, it was inevitably fatal and accounted for as much as 25% of the deaths in psychiatric hospitals. The escapades of Bub Meeks were over. It was the end of the life of one of the little-known, yet colorful rancher, Rustler Outlaws of the West.
Boys, I, I wish you all a long and prosperous life. But I am a little short on that. But I've been wise to that for a long time. I have tried hard to beat the place. But made a fail of it. I was right, and I hope you boys will admit it. I have tried hard to see my people, but I cannot. But send my body to some of my people, please, when you get through with it. May the world prosper love to all nations from Henry Meeks. I ask you one thing. Did God demand me to suffer, or was it my misfortune? Things has been translated so much that it puts men in great study. I am a believer in hereafter. I believe there is salvation for all, no matter how you pass off. And I believe I am right. There is no doubt that Bub was colorful. He lived a flashbang kind of life. Never married, no children. He was a product of his time and those he kept company with. Certainly not his upbringing. It was truly the Wild West. Rest in peace, Uncle Bub. Rest in peace. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Blasted, I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review. And do it right now. If you would, it'd sure be appreciated. Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the Go to Show option. And then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars and a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I can disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We, we'd love to hear from you. You can DM us on our Instagrams at fyo.podcast. And thank you. Are you still there? Remember to download the Family Tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode. All those links will be included in the show notes. Sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth. Your gift is your ancestry. Your superpower is their family history stories that make you. Not a one of us crawled out from under a rock, regardless of what you've been told. 
you have 4,094 grandparents over 12 generations with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. (laughs) I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it. Until the next time, bye.